Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the writer says this. He asks a question. What does the worker gain from his toil? I bet many of you have asked that. Why do I work here? What is the point of me working here? They don't appreciate me around here. Or none of you ever said that. Never mind, not only appreciate me, the boss doesn't even notice I'm here. And then he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So there are, in the sons of men, there is something going on that they cannot understand and they cannot fathom. Doesn't mean to say it's not there. But they cannot understand it and they cannot fathom what God has done. That's why when you live the way you live, you become a standard where you are, where you work, where you live, where you, whatever your circle of life is. You help people to ask a question that they've been asking themselves. You help them to understand. Why is it you work and you're fulfilled? Why is it with all that you earn, with all that you do, you seem to be more fulfilled, more content than me? Some people in your workplace are asking that question. They see your life and they see it's different. And they're saying, what makes her, what makes him, what makes them different than me? And sometimes that can rise, cause jealousy in some people. Other times it can provoke them to ask you, what is it about you? Hello, are you awake this morning? But you know, how many of you, know, how many of you realize that people live with paradoxes? People live with paradoxes. In other words... They work hard only to become burdened by what they do. You notice that? We quarrel and then the person that we love, we quarrel with, only then to have to work harder to make it up with. That's a paradox. It's always amazing to see how a nation goes and bombs another nation, obliterates the nation, and then feels a sense of responsibility to have to go and rebuild it. Well, why bomb it? Why bomb it then? It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. It costs you an arm and a leg to go and bomb it, and now it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to rebuild the nation. That's a paradox. That's a paradox. It seems to be why is it we work very hard to get in a position, and then when we get in the position, we stop working? Or why is it pastors work hard to get a ministry, and once they get a ministry, they let the ministry corrupt them? These are paradoxes that people live with. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that people live with no sense of eternity in their hearts. They only live for today and for tomorrow. And they'll see, they may perhaps see their kids' college fund. But they don't seem to live beyond more than that. But the writer says, God has set eternity inside people's hearts now we've got to think about that what does that mean for God to set eternity inside someone's heart some can't fathom it out and some can those who can never fathom out what God has done 
is always going to be asking questions. To them, nothing ever makes sense. But to those who have got eternity in their hearts, things should start making sense. Would you agree? So, let me say this to you. If you want heaven's eternity set in your heart, then you have to be prepared to live a different way. If you want heaven's eternity to be made clear within you, then you have to be prepared to live a different way. You have to be prepared to live by a different standard. You will never understand what God is doing, what God has done, what God wants to do, if you will not allow him to set eternity in your heart. God has to set it. We, we, re, we clearly read that God sets. It's him who sets. Why? Because only he knows eternity. Only he knows eternity. If God has not set eternity in your heart, then you'll never discover what God has begun within you and what he has planned for you. Because the Bible tells me he's begun a good work. So if God's begun a good work, he's also got good plans. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 regarding Israel that God had plans for her, plans to give her hope and get plans to give her the future. God had set eternity in the heart of Israel. But Israel never understood it. So what happens is, Jesus comes on the earth, tries to speak and continue what the prophets had spoke to Israel, but Israel would not take hold of what Jesus was saying. So therefore, he says, I came to the house of Israel, but the house of Israel did not receive me. So now I go to another house. I'll go to the Gentiles. Why? Because God still has also set eternity into the hearts of the Gentiles. You're a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. A Gentile is somebody who, was never, who wasn't a Jew. So God is interested in the world for the sake of the world. Now, I didn't plan to sing this song this morning because Paul was leading. But that perfectly lead, gives me a runway into what I want to say this morning. For the sake of the world. God has set eternity in our hearts and only God can do it. To millions, the thought of life is somewhat enjoyable. To millions or billions, the thought of life is somewhat enjoyable. The things that you can do in life to bring you joy and happiness are multiplicitous. Yeah? And yet to a whole bunch of other people, life is just filled and is full of paradoxes. Nothing makes sense to them. Everything is meaningless. Rather than it being purposeful. Now if God has truly set eternity within your heart, the fruit of that eternity is that you will live for a different purpose. That's the, all, that's the nature of God's setting eternity, is that through his eternity, you'll rise to discover his purpose. The purpose means, the word purpose simply means the reason why you exist or the reason why something was created. That's its literal definition. So once we understand why we exist, and that's the number one question that people are asking, why am I here? Once we understand why I'm here, 
Then I ask the next question, what am I here to do? That's his purpose. Most Christians do not understand their God-given purpose. So the only thing they understand is church. And they don't understand that well. Who's heard of the rat race? Of course you've heard of the rat race. The rat race is this. Here's the definition of a rat race. It's an endless, self-defeating, or pointless pursuit. It conjures up the image of the futile efforts of a lab rat trying to escape while running around a maze on a wheel. This is some people's perspective of their life. I'll say it again. The rat race is an endless, self-defeating, or pointless pursuit. It conjures up the image of the futile efforts of a lab rat trying to escape while running around a maze or in a wheel. So many people have that kind of life. Pointless, purposeless. I'm going through the motions. Hey, nothing seems to change. I go to work. I come home. I do the same things at home. And, and everything seems to be the same and it seems to be a wheel and there seems to be no escape from this pointless, purposeless pursuit in life. I work, but I'm never in, I never enjoy the fruits of my labor. I, 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 I raise my kids, but my kids don't love me or my kids, we can't seem to get on together. I, I work with my wife, I love my wife, but we never seem to be able to get it together. And the whole picture of life seems to be of strife. We work, but we never have enough money. We choose, we, we, we make career choices, but the careers never pay off. And my kids never seem to, to seem to get what they need because of the job I'm doing. We're just in a rat race and we just work harder and harder and harder, but we never seem to break the cycle. God uses the rat race because you and I were the hamster on that wheel at some point. Or the rat on that rat, rat wheel at some point. And we cried out, Lord, there's got to be something better. And as we cried out, God began to show us a sense of purpose. And he began to show us that there was eternity in our hearts. Which is a fantastic thing. So let me ask you a question. In Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 16. Let's ask ourselves, how could David ask this question? How could David say, your eyes have seen my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. How could David ask that question? Why would David even ask that question if he had no sense of eternity? Think of it. If there's no sense of eternity in your heart, you're never even going to inquire of God. Because God, to you, has no part in your life. Life is just meaningless. You get out of life what you work for, and to some degree that's true. And everything is about what you can do and what you can't do. And we call it, at the end of the day, we call it, is a self-made man. So not everybody, and when a self-made man rises to the top, the guy who doesn't have what the self-made man has feels jealous. And then he despises him. And then he attacks him. It can't all be down to what you can do. God 
has to, when you have an eternity set in your heart, you realize there's a sense of purpose and you think, God, there is no way on earth I can get where you need me to be. God says, that's a good place to start. So how are you, Tony, going to get what, to the place where I've just put in your heart? I don't know, God, because I can't do this. I haven't, I'm not qualified in that. I'm not qualified in this. So then God says, okay, let me show you the steps. So the moment you begin to understand eternity, you want to understand that there's a place that you need to be that you can never get there by your, your own skill, talent, knowledge, wisdom. Because if you could, you don't need God. I am where I am because of God's hand upon my life. He's led me. He's called me. And you will get where you need to get if you allow God's hand to come upon your life. I guarantee it. Some of you are very smart and intelligent, but on your best day, that's still not good enough. Some of you are very good at making money, but your money won't take you where God wants you to go. He's not, asking you to, he's not telling you to stop making money. He's just letting you know, use what you can use, but then I, the, the, the Almighty has to overshadow what you've got. And I take your little and I multiply it into a lot. That's God. That's why God is God and you're not. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Only a man with destiny in his heart, with, with, with um, eternity in his heart, could turn around and say, God, you saw me when I was in my mother's womb. Only a man who's captured a sense of eternity could even put those two together. You saw me, oh God. You saw me. How wonderful, Lord, am I, am I fearfully made that you saw me in my mother's womb and you chose you protected me. You brought me out the womb and you brought me into this earth. Only supernatural God can do that. Because not every child has been born in perfect circumstance. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. He already now he's began to understand that God has got a plan for his life. And God's written him out in a book. And the only difference is now is that he needs God to tell him. All the days, all the days... I've been ordained by God for you. But man can't understand that, but God wants you to understand it. God does not want you to be in the dark like the world is. He says, the men couldn't fathom out what God had put in their hearts, but we're not those men. God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. God is revealing it by His Spirit, and God will reveal it by His Spirit. Everything's by the Spirit. And God doesn't want you just to sit and go to work. God wants you to live with a sense of purpose. Work is not your purpose. Work brings you satisfaction and work brings you what you need. It keeps a roof over your head. It supplies your needs. But that's not the reason why you were born. Everyone has a field. Everyone has a vocation. And everyone has a calling. Okay, now some people's vocation becomes their calling. It can be that. But everyone, God's given us a field. He's putting us in a field where we can make a difference. Hello? Everyone's got a field. Your field will naturally polarize around your skills, your knowledge, your intellect, your gifts, your talents. Your gift, listen, your calling is not to come to church. Your calling is to become church. Hello? 
Your calling is to become the church, not go to church. I'm not saying don't go to church. I'm saying that's not the sum total. So David could say this because he carried eternity within his heart. Only the person who is alive with a sense of destiny within them can consider God's thoughts being precious. There's billions of people waking up in the morning who do not consider God's words precious. Why? Because their hearts have not been set on eternity. They don't consider, they don't even think that God's word is precious to them. They get their inspiration from many other things. People often read the word of God. You think, oh, that's a good place to start. But then people read the word of God for many, many reasons. Some read it because of inquisitiveness. Some read it because they want a sense of knowledge. Others read it because it's a religious duty. And still, they do not understand what God has put in their hearts. But then there's another company of people who read it by the Spirit. And those people who read it by the Spirit, the Spirit reveals to them the hidden secrets, the mysteries. But not everybody reads the Scripture in the Spirit. It's a spiritual book that has to be revealed. And in the revealing, understanding comes. Because without the revealing, you'll just understand, you'll just naturally try to put dot to dot. But the Bible doesn't work naturally. It's a supernatural book. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, again, this emphasis of this word is being impressed home upon the Israelites. And it says, God speaking to Joshua, he says, do not let the book of this law depart from your mouth. What does he say? Tell him to do? Meditate on it day and night. If you are going to consider God's word, and God's eternity are something precious to your life, then you're going to have to give extra attention to that word. Hello? If you are to consider this word as being precious like David did, then you are going to have to give extra time to this word. Thinking about this word, reading this word, because in this word are the secrets to your life. Your life. You see, I can only speak... What God has put on my heart for us as a house. But there are many things God has to speak to you personally. And if you're not searching the scriptures through the week and, you know, and, and asking God, meditating on his word, God can't speak to you in a very personal, in a very real way. You see, a teacher teaches the children in the classroom, but at some point those kids are going to have to find out for themselves what that teacher taught them was either true or wrong. They're going to have to go and get some experience. Now, not everything a teacher teaches you, you can get personal experience. Because if it's history, you can't go and get experience of that history. But a lot of the things, we've got to find out for ourselves whether what we're taught was true. And once we find out it's true, it becomes real. And here, he's saying to Joshua, don't let this book depart from you. In other words, do everything you can, Josh, because... You and Israel need this word. There are things I've, there are plans I've got for Israel that unless you meditate on this word and you don't inquire of me, I can never, ever tell you. God isn't about to tell you everything he knows. God is only going to trust, entrust the treasures and the secrets to those who tr- truly do seek after him. How many of us want to know more? But how many of us do something extra to find out more? Ah, 
Put your hand down in your pocket. Because we want it the easy way. We want to be spoon-fed. Meditate in it, day, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. In other words, God just doesn't want to reveal to you eternity. He wants you to step into it and do what he's revealing. And he wants us to be very careful so that we do not go stray of what's been revealed. He wants us to stay on the path. Yeah? Then you will be able, then, then this is the part we all want. He said, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, that's why man goes to work. That's why man finds his field. That's why man finds a vocation. Because he wants to be successful and prosperous in his field. But he still doesn't understand in his field why he's on the earth. Yeah? And that's why to him everything, everything becomes meaningless. He works hard to leave it to someone who doesn't have the wisdom and skill and knowledge to do, to look after what he's worked all his life for. That's called your kid's inheritance. We work hard, we buy a house, we leave it to our kids. Only for our kids to get themselves in debt and sell the house. But once you've gone, you've gone. All you can do is raise children with the wisdom and the knowledge and a sense of eternity so that when it's their time to, to, to lay hold of the inheritance, they've got wisdom so they know how to use it. True? Because all of us, to some degree, cannot guarantee what our kids will do with what we leave them. But it doesn't stop us giving them, does it? So if you want a million pounds tomorrow, or 10 million pounds tomorrow, and you're going to divide the money, you're going to give it your kids, why? The heck would you leave it, your kids, when, some of, when you look at the lives now with a bit of money they have got, why would you give them more money? I would make sure that my kids don't get the inheritance until a certain age. They'll say, Dad, you're tight. No, Dad's smart. Dad's smart because he knows how you can't, listen, you can't even save two pounds. You can't save two pounds. And everything you do, every money you've got, is either you spend it on burgers, booze, and buses. So why am I going to leave you my inheritance at an early age? I'm going to wait until you've matured. That's my perspective. Might not be yours. That's fine. Maybe my kids are different from yours. <laughs> you've got a wise kid. That's different. I just know I've got some that will spend every penny you, I've got. God has set eternity in their hearts. But you see, when you don't understand what God's doing, everything's a paradox. Everything's meaningless. He wants them to think on, he wants them to think a certain way so that their life will come to a place of prosperity and success. How many of us want success? How many of us want our kids to be successful? Well, you cannot entrust that success to the world. You have to play your part. You have to play your part. And it doesn't matter how old your children are. You still keep telling them. You know, I've got one now nearly 30. You know what? He might as well be three. Because I've still got 30 years. I've still got 20 odd years on him. 
That doesn't mean to say he's got no experience. It doesn't mean to say he's got no wisdom. But he can't get my 20-odd years. And my 20-odd years of walking with God is deeper than his time he's been walking with God. So God, the, God, the Father, puts the earthly father in responsible of the family. Dad is always dad. Dad is always dad. I don't care if my, my kids grow up to be the prime minister. When they come in our house, they take the shoes off, they wash the pots, and they put the toilet seat down after use. Why? Because dad's rules are still dad's rules. And if they can't honor dad's house, why should I trust him with the nation? So religion, have you noticed religion has no purpose? It has no eternal purpose. Religion never, ever, ever, ever has had any eternal purpose. All religion does is keep people in the rat race of religion. It keeps them in the duty. It keeps them, it, it doesn't let the people rise. It won't let them go accelerate. It won't let them advance. It keeps them in the maze of religion. God doesn't want that. In Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Men of Athens, he addresses them, men of Athens. I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Just pause there a minute. Paul has already come out of a religious system. Paul was an Israelite. Paul was a Benjamite, which is a true Israelite. So Paul is already steeped in historical religious tradition. And yet he calls these guys religious. I can see that you're religious in every way. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in, in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives all men and breath, life and breath and everything else. Why? Because he's the one who sets eternity. Okay? From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So when God sets eternity, he sets the nation, he sets the family, he sets the house, he sets the street, he sets the school. He sets everything. He sets everything in place. Remember that. This is the creator. This is the one who organizes everything. This is the one who sets it out and puts a plan. And that plan... Is it an algorithm or a, uh, a logarithm when, when something works like that in programming? What is it? Algorithm. God set the algorithm of our hearts. Everything's working to a plan. Millions, billions of people are crossing each other every day. And God's written the program and it's all, it's all working. And you know, it never falters. It's a, it's a faultless program. It's not like he's on 24-hour call. He is on 24-hour call, but not for his systems breaking down. Because if his system breaks down, that means he's, he's got flaws. And he set this program up in place where you're in there. 
The days of your life are in there. Who you'll meet, when you'll meet, where you'll live, where you'll go, how you'll treat people. Everything's in that program. That is amazing. And it doesn't run on batteries. It runs on solar power. His light. And here he is, seeing that he's determined, he has determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. Stop complaining where you're living. That's gone quiet. God did this so that man would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. At the beginning, we read from Ecclesiastes, though God set eternity in our hearts, man cannot fathom it out. So God does things so that they'll ask him. God's program is deliberately set so that it will put men in situations where men will cry out and say, there's got to be more than this. And when God hears that cry and hears that frequency coming, God begins to reveal himself and reveal the eternity that he always had for man. These were very religious people. They worshipped something they didn't know. But every week they worshipped. Just like some Christians. Some, just like some people who go to church. They worship something they don't know. It's, a, it's, it's beyond thinking. Sometimes to think that millions of people are standing in churches worldwide worshipping a God they've never met. That's frightening. And it happens everywhere in every denomination. So God has set eternity and heaven's dimension into us. Would you all agree? So we can lock onto it and so it can lock onto us. God has set it so that it locks onto you and so that you can lock on to it. And when it locks onto you, it acts like a magnetic pulse pulling you towards the place where it's being transmitted where the electric current's being transmitted. So when, if I get hold of Phil, Ruth said this in the book of Ruth. She said about Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your family will be born my family. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. She locked on to destiny. She locked on to eternity. There was something in Naomi that Ruth said, you're a part of me. You're a part of me, and I cannot separate from you. So Ruth makes a pledge that, like no other pledge, she could have. She needed a kinsman redeemer. She had no husband. Her own husband, uh, Marlon, had, had died, and now she could go back to Boaz to get sorry to to uh, Moab to find her husband, a new husband who would take care of her. But her mother-in-law's need outweighed hers. And she stayed with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she says, where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. Where you rest, I rest. Your friends are my friends. Your family are my family. You don't make that pledge unless eternity has been set in your heart. And here Naomi makes that statement. I should say Ruth makes that statement. So when you lock onto it, it's like a magnetic pulse that you cannot let go. I can't. Think of my life 
any other way than being with Christ. I can't. I don't want to. And the moment I think of me and Christ being separated, it freaks me out. Because I don't want to lose what I've got. And I don't want you to lose what you've got. So when, when eternity locks its onto you internally, or should I say, if without eternity locking onto you internally, you'll never decipher what is coming from heaven. Without you being able to decipher everything, you'll hear sounds, and it, all it'll become is like a parable. I need to be able to decipher what's coming from above. This is eternity. This is eternity. Without eternity locking onto you internally, you'll never be able to discern the difference between man, heaven, and hell. Without eternity locking itself onto you, you will never be able to discern the activity of men, heaven, or hell. Because it will all be determined by how it makes you feel. Hello? If it makes you feel bad, oh, it's of the devil. If it makes you feel good, oh, it's of God. Life does not work on how you feel. Work, life works based on the source of where something's coming from and its purpose. So you'll never decipher, you'll never discern. Without eternity locking onto you internally, you'll never possess the joy of working towards a plan and purpose. My friends, there is a joy. There is a joy of working towards a plan and a purpose. There is a joy of knowing Christ. There is a joy. And without eternity locking on. See, many millions of people come to church. We know that. But they never know the joy of maybe of the one speaking. Because the one who's speaking, not all the time, but on a lot of occasions, has gone above, gone beyond, so he can lead the people to where he is. So he can lead the body of Christ into what he is touching himself. But not every pastor is, is doing that. I know that. Not every minister is able to do that. Why? Because they themselves, before you can lead, you also have to be led. The Holy Ghost has to lead you. You have to be willing to surrender, submit yourself, so that you then can rise and lead others. And not every leader wants to be led. Without, <coughs> excuse me, without eternity locking onto you internally, ready for this? You'll never discover the significance of the sacrifices that God asks you to make. You'll never discover the significance of the sacrifices that God's asking you to make. Every sacrifice that God asks you to make, there's a significance behind it. But if you don't understand eternity, you'll just, you know, some people say this. Listen, listen to this. Young people hear us say, please refrain from sexual activity before marriage. So that sounds like a punishment to a young 15-year-old who's got testosterone coming out of his ears. Does it not? Because what he will do, he will take your comments and he will now compare them to what everybody else is doing outside. True? 
But you say, look, please abstain from sexual activity. Why? Because your heavenly father doesn't want it. And you start to try and teach them of the reasons why. You can't just give them a law. That's where we went wrong. We can't just say, stop it, don't touch it, forbidden fruit. You've got to teach them the benefits, the reasons why. You've got to teach them the significance of the sacrifice. You've got to show them the consequences of the action. True? Now, the trouble is, today, there are no consequences because society props them up, gives them a house, gives them everything they want. So there is no consequence. There is, but they don't see it. What we're trying to save them from is struggling, striving. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a different way. There's a better way. But we're told, we're prudes, that that's old-fashioned. No, son, that's called Bible. But if we just try and teach our kids as a law, our kids will rebel against it because they don't want to keep a law. So you've got to find wisdom. You've got to, wonder, you've got to try and spend time with them, helping them how it's going to affect their lives. And it's also going to affect yours. Because grand and granddad's going to have to be involved. Right? And we don't want our kids to mess up their lives. We want them to be free to make choices without children in their life. There's a time and a season for everything. And kids don't understand. Why? Because they work by emotions. They think now's the time. But yes, son, but it's not the season. Do you understand that? So we've got to try and help our kids to do that. So when God's trying to help us to make, when God's speaking to us about making sacrifices, He's trying to show you there is a significance behind God asking you to make this sacrifice. Why? Because, son, you don't see the ramifications of where this is going to lead. But only eternal father sees that. And, you know, the trouble with most Christians, they want God to explain everything before they obey. Why? 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 And when you explain this, why? The explanation is never good enough. God says, son, you're going to have to learn something about you and me. When I speak, you have to obey. Then I explain later. Then I explain later. But I don't have to explain in order to ask. That's the difference between a saint and a disciple. When God speaks, we align ourselves because he speaks. A saint says, why? A disciple's different. So there are many, many significant sacrifices that God is asking of you to make. And he can't keep explaining every one before you obey. But your heart should be this. If he's my heavenly father and he's speaking to me, it must be because, one, I know he loves me. And two, I know he wants to protect me. So surely the logic in that is I'll do it because my heavenly father... You've read in your Bible many, many times, it says, Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Have you read that? He was taken up, crucified by men, vindicated by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means me telling, I'm the Father now. Let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm the Heavenly Father. I'm telling the Son. Now, Jesus said he never did anything unless he first saw the Father doing it, or he heard the Father tell him to do it. Did Jesus say that? Right. Is he going to be tested on that? Right. So when, G when the Father tells Jesus to do something, 
Jesus does it, and later the Spirit vindicates everything he did. Jesus didn't wait for the evidence and the proof before he obeyed. The Holy Ghost later vindicates the actions of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost does that. The same Holy Ghost that vindicated Jesus Christ will vindicate you. So when other people can't see the the significance of the sacrifice that you've made, people call you an idiot or a fool. But later on in life, the Holy Spirit will vindicate your actions. And now other people will see, you know, that man had wisdom. But there was a time then when it didn't look like wisdom. But the Holy Ghost has to vindicate us. That's called, make, I made a sac- significant sacrifice at the time I was asked. And I left the results and I left the vindication to God. And God later on vindicated me by the Holy Ghost. So when you tell your children and you're encouraging your kids not to make mistakes and the kids does it and he makes the sacrifice, later on the kids are going to come to you and say, thank you, mum. Thank you, Dad, that you gave me that wisdom. Thank you, Dad. It was hard. It was hard, Dad. I wanted to do what my mates were doing. But thank God it didn't. Now they'll see all the mates in a different, different standard. Now they'll see they're free to do what they need to do. And they'll see the benefit. Now, Mum and Dad's been vindicated. Might have took 10, 15 years. Parents, God is behind you. God is behind you. When you give your, pa- your kids godly wisdom... And the truth, and, you, and no matter how hard it gets, God is behind you because he knows as a father what it takes. His own son had to go that way for your benefit. God is right behind fathers. That's why the Bible tells us, children, obey your mother and father. Why? Because it will go well with you. Why? So when mom and dad tell the kids what to do, later on the kids, the mom and dad will be vindicated. We don't want to be proved right when our kids' life have gone wrong. There's no joy in that. True? So eternity must lock onto our lives so that we make the significant sacrifices. If there's one thing missing from today's church, it's sacrifice. It's, it really is. It's the one thing, I believe, that really hits home at the heart. Listen, Jesus' life was one of sacrifice. And it's the, it's the least thing we see in the body of Christ in the West. Sacrifice. You can't get people to do an awful lot. They'll sacrifice for the job, they'll sacrifice for a lot of things, but they will not sacrifice their lives for Christ. That's why they become a saint, not a disciple. A disciple is putting down your nets and following the one who calls you. Yeah? You see, Most people have all applications, uh, sorry, most people have access to various applications for communication. I love it when Dorothy's on Facebook, and I look at, and I I brag about you, Dorothy, when I go around the nation, they all say, how old are you? I said, I've got an 84-year-old lady who uses an iPad in church. People go, wow, wow. I said, yeah, she's on it, Facebook, all the time, she uses it. Brilliant. I said, it's a simple piece of technology that I'm trying to work out, but she's already worked it out. I said, but it's great that she works on it. So she's not frightened of technology. So the thing is, is people have all kinds of access to technology, but just hold on. Some people have MySpace, Waste of Space, In Your Face. 
Facebook, Wastebook, you name it. They've got all these kinds of WhatsApp, you know, um, all kinds of technologies for speaking to people. And very often they're speaking to people who make no contribution to your life and to the eternity that's set in it. It's true. It's true. Though people are loved and are deemed as precious, because not everyone we communicate to is a waste of space. And what I mean by that is a lot of people on Facebook, we can make a comment. We don't know them. We're just making a comment. We love people, and people are precious to us. Is that right? Certain people, not everyone. Not everyone on Facebook or whatever technology you use is precious, but certain people are precious to us. But not everyone, listen, not even those who are precious to us have the same eternity in their hearts. This is something that most people won't acknowledge. They think because they love people, therefore, they carry the same thing as you do. No, they don't. I've noticed that not everyone I love carries the same thing. My daughter right now does not carry the same eternity in her heart that I do. Do I love my daughter? Of course I do. Do I approve of her lifestyle? Absolutely not. But I realize she does not carry the same eternity in her heart right now than her father does. So there are two different standards in our house. She's always wanting to bring me down to her standard. And when I don't come down, she throws all the toys out the pram. Metaphor. Yes? So dad could be manipulated to lower his standards so as to adjust to meet Laura. But dad says, no, Laura, you've chose your path. I chose mine. Why should I abandon my path? Because of your path. She doesn't like that. But if dad doesn't stay on this path, dad can never be vindicated by the spirit. It's hard, folks. It's hard. It's hard. None of us want to lose. But you know, I love my mother-in-law and father-in-law. It's probably taken me 30 years of marriage to get to that place. I'm being serious. I'm not being flippant. Now I'm in a good position with mum and, with mum and we call her mum and dad. That's a, that's a job on its own. Calling me mother and, mother-in-law and father-in-law, mum and dad. But now I feel generally affectionate towards them. I take, I take care of Margaret and Jack, that's my mother-in-law, father-in-law, like they're my own mother and father. But I know they don't carry eternity in their hearts. And when I came into the ministry, my father-in-law sat me down. The only time I married his daughter, he didn't care. I'd say he didn't care, but we didn't have the father-son conversation when I, when I married his daughter. But when I bring, when I'm leaving my job to come into the ministry, now because I've got kids, he sits down with me and says, do you know, I want to give the language, because he's Glaswegian. Do you know what you're doing? Yes, I do know what I'm doing. You're leaving a good, well-paid job to come into the ministry. Yes, I know that. Thank you for acknowledging that. And I'm thinking, does he think that I'm going to ask him to look after us? And I says to him, if God called me, God will keep me. And you will see, and he will speak to you, and you'll see it for yourself. He's seen me now travel the nations. He's never seen me asking for a bean. He's seen our kids grow up. He's seen our kids, uh, Scott, enter into uh, the first leg of the ministry. He's seen the same thing that worked for me, now working on my kids. But there's a point there when I realize that you and I are not going the same way. But that's not a reason to become enemies. You were just concerned about the grandkids. I appreciate that. 
Fine, I understood that. He wasn't attacking me. He was questioning. That's fine. And I was able to say, Jack, God will look after us. And God has. And you see, now it breaks, it breaks Carol's mum's heart to see her grandson, Scott, go to Australia. Because she's seeing that it, I see how God's used your life and how you and Carol are in the ministry. And, and uh, she doesn't mind a, a, a son-in-law traveling around the nations. Just don't take my daughter. But now she's seeing Scott, the eldest one, she loves Scott. I know that. And now she's seeing the same eternity that's in dad's heart now come in Scott's heart. And she's seeing that it's taken her grandson in a direction that she can't control. And it breaks her heart because she's a grandmother. She's not trying to stop us doing it. She's just sad it's happening. Because when you get to, when you get to my mother-in-law's age, she doesn't know how many days she's got left. And she's thinking, will I ever see him again? So she's not fighting God. She's just upset. It's natural that she's losing a grandson. And then with time difference, so then we bring her the Facebook. Technology. It's almost, oh, my ween, my ween. I can see my boy. So we said, you know, God's even taking care of your needs, Margaret. You're living in a day where we've got technology where I can show him on the other side of the world. So God's been kind to her. She's the grandmother. I'm the one who's got to lose him for two years. I'm the one who's got to pay for him for two years. But eternity, when it grabs hold of you, it takes you in directions. It makes you make significant. Scott only now is beginning to realize the significance of his, significance of his sacrifice. How it's led his life. How it's leading his life. It's the same thing that's got to happen to you and I. We're not all called to Australia. You think, shucks. But the point is, is he acknowledged that's how God spoke to him. God speaks to you differently. God's a different sacrifice for different people. But the way it's working for him is that he had to go to us. The way it worked for me, I had to go to us. Now, the way he spoke to them, they've got to come to England. You've got the rum end of the deal. We've got the good end of the deal. The gooder. The gooder. I'm just thinking, how can I finish on this? Okay, let's come to the last scripture. Matthew 4.19, this will finish. Matthew 4.19, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus was, and he says, and at once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, John, Zebedee, and his brothers, John. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They left the mother and father. They left the father. They put down the nets. Eternity grabbed hold of them. All as Jesus said was, follow me. The significance of their sacrifice, they could never comprehend at that moment. To walk away from what they knew, what they were doing, what they had, to follow this strange man, something was imparted to him. As Jesus spoke, listen, as Jesus spoke, Follow me. Something from his words latched onto the inside of their hearts. Eternity grabbed hold of them. Obedience came first before their understanding. So, in finishing, if you're going to prove that you've got eternity in your heart, let me ask you four basic questions. Write this down and think about this and pray about this this week. 
if you would consider yourself as being a person who has got eternity in your heart, not because you come to church, not because you like Christianity, not because you like singing, I'm not talking about a spiritual dimension that has been imparted into your life. Can you answer these four basic questions? Because this will show whether you've got some understanding of what has laid hold of you. Some understanding, not the total understanding, but some understanding. And the question is, what is God doing in your life right now? You must be able to explain this to yourself and to other people, should the right people, obviously, what God is doing in your life right now. Because to, to explain that is to understand that this God is working. He's working eternity out. So God is working Something right now in someone in this room. That someone needs to be defined so that they can define what that something is. What is God doing? Number two, what has God begun in you? The Bible says he's begun a good work. Do you know what work? Do you know what work God has begun within you? Question three. What has God promised to do with you? You think, well, I don't know. Well, that's good. Start asking for this eternity to be made clearer. What has God promised he will do? Final question. What must be brought to an end within you? So what is God doing? What has God begun? What has God promised to do? And what must be brought to an end within you? I guarantee that if you can answer those questions, you are a person who's got eternity on the inside of them. Amen? So this week, if you will, I implore you to go before the Father and or before you go before the Father, sit down with a pen and piece of paper and answer those four questions yourself. Now, some, you're not going to do that. That's, all, that's yours. That's your choice. I'm not going to say that's okay. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that's your choice. Some won't do it. If you're married, why don't you do it with your partner? Let it become a partner thing. What is God doing? What has God begun? What will he, what is he promised to do? What must be brought to an end within me? Do it as a partnership. It's a real good way of breaking the barriers spiritually between your partner. Once you've wrote those things down, you've got a sense of clarity, begin to pray in those areas this week. And ask God to give you some clarity on this eternity. This is the litmus test as to whether you've got eternity. Now, people say, well, I've got eternity in my heart. Yeah, I know I have. Well, do the test. Do the test and let's see. Well, I just believe. No, I didn't ask you what you believe. I asked you what you know. What has God revealed? Not what you believe. What has God revealed? What is the work he's begun in you? I need to know that work. I need to, I need to understand his hands upon my life. I need to know how his hands work in my life. I need to know how his voice operates in my life. I need to know those things. Why? Because... I want to work with eternity. 
I want to work what's coming from above. Does that make sense? Let's stand to our feet. Now, church, I wish, I wish, I wish you could all bring your results and I could see them. I really wish that. But that's not realistic. But I really want to, to encourage you to do it because if you don't do it, you're going to keep hearing and you're never going to be able to work out what God's trying to work in. Hello? God, as God works in you, God works out of you what he's worked in. Does that make sense? If God's working peace in David's heart, David has to work peace out of his heart. There needs to be some fruit seen, evidence of what God's working on the inside. So when you write your, left, when you write your notes down and you, and you write your fancy things and you say, that's what God's doing, ask your partner, do you see any evidence of this? There's a litmus test right there. Ask your partner or your friend. Do you see these things? No, I don't see that. Well, guess what? It's a pipe dream then. No one's seen it. Then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because you can, you, can you can delude yourself, can't you? So right now, if you will, raise your hands. You know, I pray this week that you'll, I pray all the time you'll hear God's voice more than you'll ever hear mine. And I'm speaking this morning, I trust that you've heard the voice of God speak to you. And let that be the same voice that keeps speaking to you through this week, not my voice. But when God's voice comes on the inside, it, it, it stirs waters. And the, the waters right now inside me are stirring. I want, I want to sit down with you like a teacher would in the class and go through with every one of you. But I know that's not realistic, but that's still my heart to do it. Because I don't want any one of you to go out here and not know the force of eternity and how it works. I, you know, I think of the young Christians. I want so much for you to be on the same page. I want so much for you to be on the journey, on the path. Because that's the nature of a father. And I see some people sometimes in church look up, don't bring a pen, don't bring a paper. And they can't remember the first word I said, so how can you remember what the last word I said? So I know this week that's not going to be a reality in your life. But God has to do something with you. I can't do it. My job is to be the mouthpiece, the mouth on roller skates. But I really want you to do this. Because I sense that God is trying to break us through in, in 2015. God wants you to understand some things. So from what you understand, he can launch you. If you don't understand this year, then what's he going to do next year? You still won't understand. So we've got to work some things out. So we can be launched into 2015 knowing, what did I say last week? We start with what we know. And what we know is what we're trying to be defined right now this morning. So right now, Holy Spirit. Seal your words in our hearts. Cause your word, O oh God. Father, to go deep. O oh God, right now, let not the worries of this world erode at the seed that's been planted this morning. Oh, Father, protect it, O oh God, protect it. Father, I pray, Lord, just as your son prayed in, uh, in John 17, I pray for those. Who, who I'm leaving behind where I'm because he was going to the Father. He says, I pray for those, those you've given me, Heavenly Father, those who have heard your word and obeyed your word, those who have received your word, I pray for them 
that they will not falter, that the enemy will not rob the seed that's been sown. So I find myself in a similar position. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray for those that you've given me. I pray for those that you've sat before me this morning. I pray for those, oh God, who have heard the sound of your voice this morning. I pray, oh God, that through this week, Lord, difficulties, trials and tribulations, work and everything that goes on in, in every day of the week, Lord, will not steal this seed. But, oh God, it will be planted. I pray, oh God, that you will partner with these people this, this week, oh God, to work out this salvation. Holy Ghost, don't let this seed fall to the ground. Oh, my God, for the sake of your body, for the sake of your name, for the sake of the world, oh God. Drop, drop these seeds. Oh, my God. Church, be open. Be open to what God wants to do. Be open to the move. Work it out. Show God that you're willing. Show God that you're a good student of his word, that you're a good disciple. Pray to him. Ask him. Lord, show me the secret of these things. Show me the mystery behind these questions. Show me where I'm at, oh God, with you. Don't be content with where you're at. Ask him to reveal something that you don't know. Holy Spirit, show us. What needs working out? What needs bringing to an end? What have you promised me? Oh, yeah, bring revelation. Bring understanding. Show them the joy, Lord, and the significance of the sacrifices. Help us to decipher. Help us to discern. Help us to understand the ways of God and how he moves in our life. Oh, Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In heaven, as it is on earth. Father, you've given us the bread today. You've given us more than bread. You've given us seed. Because it's the seed that creates the future. The bread feeds us for the day. But the seed creates a tomorrow. So, Father, right now, take the seed of God's word. In Jesus' holy name. For God has set eternity in your heart. But the world does not understand it. But God, we, through God, through the Holy Ghost, we can understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a standing ovation.